Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we're back in Malachi this morning. Uh, so you turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. If you can't find Malachi, maybe you can find Matthew. And then go back a page. Sounds like we've maybe found it. Great. Malachi 3, verse, uh, beginning at verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent your pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will, be, will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Let's just pray together and then we'll think about these words. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you uh, for what you have to say to us this morning. We pray that you would uh, open up your word to us, help us understand it, um, help me to explain it uh, clearly and faithfully. And please speak into each one of our hearts what you want to say, um, that you would bring home your word to our hearts with power and conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, do you know someone who makes big claims about what they're going to do, but never follows through on it? Um, I'm sure you do. They're always saying they'll have you around for dinner sometime, but it's been three years since they first said, and the invite never comes. Uh, or, or maybe you know someone who's always talking about that marathon they're going to do, but somehow they never quite get around uh, to, to going for that run. I can assure you that I like running, but I'm never running a marathon. Uh, or, or better yet, they're always going on a diet. Always going to lose some weight, but still can't refuse the carrot cake. Does that sound like anyone you know? Maybe it's yourself. Yes. Uh, but whether you ever say it or not, sometimes you just want to grab someone like that and say, well, put your money where your mouth is then. Just do it. Stop talking about it, but do the thing you're ta- saying. Put your money where your mouth is. And that's exactly what God is saying through Malachi to his people this morning. Uh, to his people, quite literally, God is saying to his people, put your money where your mouth is. Stop talking about following God. Stop talking about coming back to him. But do something about it. He's saying, you're saying you follow God, follow through with practical obedience. And in our passage this morning... I can work this. Yes. I forgot to put animations on so you're getting everything in the one go. Um, God says to his people, come back to me, stop robbing me, and I will bless you. So firstly, God says, come back to me. We'll read verse 6 and 7 again. 
I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. The book of Malachi is written to God's people, and at that time, uh, before Jesus had come, that God's people were the nation of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, as God calls them in verse 6. They were the people God had chosen out of all the nations to be his people, and yet they had failed to follow him fully. And as we've worked our way through the book over the past month or so, we've seen how actually they were a very religious people. They were really good at going through the motions. They looked like they were worshipping God, but actually their hearts were far from him. They claimed to be followers of him, but God says they have turned away and disobeyed him. Verse 7, God says, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. So again and again, they turn away from what God requires. He's made his requirements for them really clear. And again and again, they do the things he told them not to do. And they don't do the things he told them to do. That in a nutshell is what it means to sin. And his people are really good at it. God says, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. See, this is the never-ending story with the people of Israel. It's not just a recent thing. It's been going on for years since the time of their forefathers. Ever since you were a nation, again and again, you've forgotten what God did for you and turn away. And as you read through the Old Testament, it seems at times to recount this depressing cycle of God's people following him, only to turn away from him uh, and then run back to him when there's problems and only to forget him again when things are good so why is it then that God's people are still around if from the time of their forefathers they turned away from God why does he still bother why hasn't he destroyed them by now why does he still persist with a stubborn people who again and again forget his goodness to him and turn against him God tells us why in verse 6 at the start this is why he says I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. See, God's people are still around, and God is still calling them to return, because God does not change. That is the foundation for our hope, because God is always slow to anger, always abounding in love for his people, patient with them, delaying his judgment so as to give them the opportunity to repent. He doesn't get worn down by their constant turning away and just give up and walk away. He never changes. That is the hope that people in Malachi have, even though they have turned away from it. It's the hope that we have today. God never changes. So you, the sons of Jacob, are not destroyed. And because God doesn't change as well, he is faithful to the promises he's made to his people, even when they're not faithful to him. He will bring the promised king through the nation of Israel, through to the descendants of Jacob, despite their turning away. And he doesn't change in his desire to do them good. God longs for them to return, so he can return to them and bless them with his presence again. You see, there is a sense in which God has left his people. He's taken away his blessing from them. They don't have that close relationship they could have. And we read later on in verse 11, their their harvests are getting eaten by pests. Their fruit is going bad before it's ready. God is disciplining his people so they'll see the error of their ways and come back. 
And he, so he calls them to come back. Return to me and I will return to you. God says that to you and me as well today. It longs to bless his people, but they need to come back. He's not changing what he requires. He's not expecting anything new. The rules haven't changed. But his people have grown complacent. (coughs) Return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? See, their response to God's call to repentance is, is kind of like, you know, what are you talking about? Saying we need to return. How are we to return? Sure, we're following you already. Uh, they don't see the need. You see, it's possible to get so good at going through the motions, going to church, living a respectable life, even reading your Bible, that you can fool yourself into thinking you're following God and living as he requires. And so God needs to get really practical in terms of what he expects from them. He calls them out on something that they're doing that reveals their hearts. Something that shows they're not following him despite outward appearances. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? I'll tell you, stop robbing me. Stop robbing me, verse 8 and 10. God says, verse 8, will a man rob God? Yes, you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. See, these people say they're following God, but they're not. They they don't follow his commands, and actually they're robbing the God they claim to follow. Uh, And the message for them is, if you say you're following him, then actually do it. Follow him, obey him, put your money where your mouth is, and follow God fully. And you you need to return to God, but this is how you do it. This is where you start. Stop your disobedience against God. Stop robbing him. You might wonder how it's possible to rob God. The people ask the same question. Verse 8, how do we rob you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. God is saying his people are robbing him because they're not giving him the tithes and the offerings he requires. They're keeping back for themselves what is rightfully God's. Uh, we've already seen, already seen earlier in chapter 1 in a bit more detail about their, their shoddy offerings and sacrifices. They, they cut all the corners they could and they, they sacrificed, sacrificed to God what they didn't even want themselves. But what about these tithes? The, the word tithes means tenths. To give tithes means to give a tenth of your income. And that's what God had commanded his people to do. Um, in those days people lived off the land so to speak they were farmers David will know about this but none of us really know much about farming Uh, but their income came from what grew in their fields from their animals for their land produced and so God has said in Leviticus 27 a tithe of everything from the land whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord so if they had ten cows they would give one to God they had 100 sheep, they would give 10 to God. If one year they got 100 bales of hay, they would give 10 of them to God. And they've got to harvest a 1,000 spuds, they'd give 100 to God. Lots of mass this morning. And if, they, if they got cold hard cash, which I don't really know how much they used of that in those days, they were to give 10% of that to him. To whatever their income was, however that came to them, they were to give a tenth. 
Because as God told his people in Leviticus, a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. The, the, the first temptation that God said, that's mine. And to not give him that was to steal it from him. But how, how do you give to God? In the nation of Israel, God said that they were to give their tithes to a group of people called the Levites. In Numbers 18, God says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. And that was the, where they, they met with God. See, and the Levites were in turn to give a tenth of all they got to the priests. So, so when the people of Israel gave their tithes to the Levites, that was them giving their tithes to God. We've talked about priests as we worked through our way through Malachi. Uh, they were the guys who represented God's people, um, who represented the people before God, offered sacrifices in their behalf, uh, and they were also responsible for teaching them. Uh, and the Levites were a tribe of Israel, a family group within Israel, who God had set aside uh, to serve him full time in the temple. Now, the Levites included the priests. All the priests were Levites, but the rest of them supported the work of the priests and all aspects of this public worship to God. So they helped with sacrifices, they looked after and ran things in the temple. There was a lot of work to be done with all these sacrifices, and the Levites carried out this work on behalf of the people. And they would do other things too, like teach, and some would be singers and musicians. The Levites were the people who had been set aside to serve God in the temple full-time. They were in full-time ministry, if you want to use that phrase. Uh, any job that needed done with respect to public corporate worship of God, the Levites did. And, and they were set aside from their normal jobs for this work of serving God in ministry. And because of this, they didn't have any land or fields. They had no farms. They, they didn't have the time to do a normal job of working the land, growing food and farming, because their job was to serve God and the people in the temple. And so the tithes of God's people were used to support them in their ministry, to give them food to eat, to give them a living, to enable them to do all the work in the temple. So, so the tithes that the people were to give to God were to use the, the people serving him in full-time work. And so aside from the fact that the first 10% of their income belonged to God, and to hold it back was to steal from him, these tithes were really important. Uh, they were used to support the Levites, I mean, it meant that the Levites, those who were in full-time ministry in the temple, had to sometimes stop the service they were doing in the temple and go back to farming so they could eat. There was a case where this happened in Nehemiah, um, we could read about, where people had stopped giving, and they, the work had to stop in the temple. And so God says, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Bring the whole tithe, the whole 10%, so there'll be food in the temple for the priests and Levites so they can keep on serving God in their full-time ministry. See, it's not that the people weren't giving to God. Uh, these were religious people, after all. They were really good at going through the motions. They were still putting something in the collection plate, enough to see a face and, and fool themselves that they were giving to God. But they weren't giving enough. God says that the first 10% of their income was his. And that when they didn't do it, they were stealing from him. And so he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. They were giving something, but not everything they should. He knows they're holding it back. And he counts it as robbing him. They, they claim to follow God. 
but they held back what was his. You see, how they tithe revealed everything about their hearts. They said they followed God, but their actions said otherwise. Their bank statements said otherwise. God is saying, put your money where your mouth is. Stop saying you're following me. Stop saying you're returning to me and actually do something about it. Put your hand in your pocket and give what is mine. But what about us today? Does tithing still apply to us today? And how are we to do it? Now, people have different opinions in this. Some Christians think this was just for the nation of Israel, like sacrifices, things like that, that stopped when Jesus came. They'll point out the New Testament writers talk about, when they talk about giving, and all Christians are required to give, there's no doubt about that. Uh, they'll point out the word tithe, that figure of 10%, isn't specifically mentioned, and they have a point. But other people, like myself, feel that tithing is a basic principle that extends beyond the Old Testament nation of Israel. Um, for one thing, because Abraham gave a tithe to God before the nation of Israel came about, and also because of what the tithe represents. You see, everything we have is God's. Even No matter how you've got your money, even when you've worked really, really hard for it, it was God who gave you the skills and the ability and the strength to do that work. He gave you the life and breath in your lungs. Everything we have is his. And we give him the first 10% of that back by giving it to his church and his work in the world. We're acknowledging to God that all of it is his in the first place. When we tie their money, we acknowledge everything we have is God's, and that's the token of our thanks to him. So there's room for a difference of opinion here. But whether you think it applies today or just for the nation of Israel, one thing is absolutely certain. God expects Christians to give to him, and to give generously and sacrificially. Whether it's 10% or not, he expects more than our spare change. And we can rob him today... By, by not giving it off, by just giving spare change to him and not actually giving sacrificially and generously to him. So how do we give to God today? There's no Levites about, there's no temple, but we give it to the work of his, we give it to the work of his church, to, to the furthering of his kingdom in the world, to those who are in, in full-time ministry, and also when we give to the poor. In the first instance, we should give to the local church that we're part of. As Christians, we should all be supporting financially the church that we're part of as we're able. And then we might give part of it to other mission organizations like Baptist Missions. Maybe you don't know, but Baptist Missions pay David's salary. David's left his job so he can work here full time to give his whole time here. Um, and we're told in 1 Corinthians that just like the priests and Levites were paid for what they did, uh, that the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And so people like David, who's given up his job to work here at SCF full-time, has paid a salary of Baptist missions. Baptist missions get their money from ordinary Christians like you and me, who give back to God by giving some of their money to support people like David in their work for him. So whether the figure is 10% or not, we should be giving to God by giving to his church and to the work of his church. Just like a nation of Israel, we need to put our money where our mouth is. If we say we follow God, we should follow that through with our actions, beginning with our bank account, or however our money gets to us, whether it's cash in hand or uh, into the account, whatever comes in, we should give something back to God. Because what we do with our money speaks volumes about where our hearts are. 
Uh, and whether you think the tithe specifically applies to there or not, I think the principle of 10% is a good one to follow, and for three reasons. First, it gives us an idea of how much we should give. I, mean, I think naturally we want to hold on to our money. But a tithe is a good rule of thumb as to the starting point for what we should be giving to God. Secondly, it gives us freedom, uh, freedom to Christians with an overactive conscience. Sometimes, very rarely, I, I should add, I, I meet Christians who get their knickers in a twist about spending any money on themselves. They say, oh, I'm not sure I should do this. Maybe I should be giving my money to God. I, I, they, they, can't, they can't enjoy themselves. And, and for someone like that, it's a source of great freedom to give to God the first 10% and to know they have the freedom to do with what they want with the rest. And it helps us to give to God in proportion to how he has blessed us. See, the principle behind the tithe is that God isn't concerned about how much we give compared to others. He's concerned about how much we give compared to what he has given us. When there's not very much money coming into our bank accounts, 10% is very small. But when God in his grace gives us more, we are able to give more. Uh, so personally, for me, I, I would say that 10% is a minimum. It's a starting point for where we give to God. But it, it takes a step of faith, I think, to believe that you can live on 90% of what comes into your bank account. To trust God to provide for us what we need, not necessarily what we want, but all that we need. And if you're not used to doing it, there'll be things you might have to give up in order to give that kind of level. But we never have to give up more than what God pours out in blessing on us. Because God says to his people and to us today, come back to me, stop robbing me, and I will bless you. I will bless you. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God is saying that if his people return to him, and return not only outwardly but with practical obedience, especially in this area of tithing, he will return to them and return with abundant blessing and he challenges them put them to the test he challenged to obey him in this matter of tithing and trust that they will not lack food because of it you see the crops were bad they were pested and the grapes are going bad they, they probably thought they couldn't afford to tithe properly they oh, what with a bad harvest and everything but god is calling them to take a step of faith to give to god what's his the full 10 percent and trust him to supply their needs. God promises to them that if they return to him with their whole hearts, especially in this matter of giving him the tithe, he will give them a great harvest. So good they'll hardly know what to do with it. And he'll stop the pests that are eating their crops and stop the grapes going bad. God is calling them to trust him. Obedience to God often involves a step of faith, and especially so when we give to him. As I said earlier, it's a step of faith to believe you can live off 90% of your income. And to give that kind of money to God requires two things. Firstly, gratitude. Recognising all we have is God's and what we give back is a small token of that. And faith, and secondly, faith. Faith that he'll provide all you need and he'll bless you. Not necessarily financially, 
but you'll never be worse off for giving to God. God tells the disciples in Matthew 6 not to worry. Not to worry about what they'll eat or what they'll drink or having clothes to wear, but to trust God to provide all that they need. Not all they want, but all that they need. Instead of worrying, God says, as your Father in heaven knows what you need, so seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And when we obey God, he will bless us. Not necessarily financially. It's important to point that out. But God has many ways of blessing us. It may well be financial that we have comes from him anyway. But he he blessed us with a close relationship with him, with his presence, with with fruitful ministry. Imagine a church where God's people are giving generously and faithfully to him so that more and more people can be set aside for ministry full time. Imagine the, the blessing that will be to the church and to those that they reach. And God is saying to his people today and to us today, it may seem like a costly sacrifice to give to him. But he promises that if we obey him, he will bless us and bless us abundantly. No matter how much we give up for him now, it pales in comparison to what he has given us and what he will give us both now and in heaven. And so he says to his people, come back to me, stop robbing me, put your money where your mouth is. And I will bless you. We started off with that call from God. Return to me and I will return to you. God is calling his people back to him because he longs to bless them. They, they, keep, on, they keep on turning away from him. And God is calling them back to himself. I wonder can you see a bit of yourself in the nation of Israel. They're, they're really good at turning away from God. And so am I. My suspicion is you might be too. Every day I feel God. Every day I need to come back to him, say sorry for the things I've done wrong, and ask him to forgive me. And he is always ready to forgive. But maybe your experience is a bit more than the everyday ups and downs of the Christian life. Maybe you're far from God. And you have been for a long time. Maybe no one here knows, but you know. And you wonder if you've gone too far. You wonder if God will take you back. What does God say to his rebellious people? Return to me, and I will return to you. He is always ready to forgive, always ready to take you back with open arms. Return to me, and I will return to you. You are never too far from God. But returning to him and following him means more than just saying sorry and going through the motions. Returning to God requires renewed obedience in all things including this area of giving to God. Maybe you've realised this morning you've failed in this area. God says, come back to me. Stop robbing me. And I will bless you. See, God is not looking to condemn you this morning, but to call you to repentance and renewed obedience so he can pour out his blessing on you. He says to people then, he says to his people today, come back to me. Stop robbing me. Put your money where your mouth is and I will bless you. God longs for his people to return, to obey him from the heart so he can bless them abundantly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are such a gracious God that uh, you are always calling your people back to yourself, that you don't give up on us, but that there is always room to come back. 
And we thank you for your word to us this morning, that, uh, that, you, that we, if we return to you, you will return to us. We pray that you would help us to come back to you every day, that you would help us to, to obey you more fully. And we pray that you would help us, especially in this area of giving, that you would help us uh, to give to you what is yours, that you would give us wisdom in how we should do that, and that you would help us to give with, um, with hearts of gratitude, not begrudgingly, but with thankful hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.